Great to be with you this morning, and um, I'm excited to take a look at this, as Lonnie said, this short and yet incredibly profound uh, message from one verse in the book of Galatians, uh, Galatians 5.25. Let me read it just one more time. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, by the time we're done today, I bet you everyone here could have this memorized, okay? If you haven't already got it memorized, you can. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe your translation says, let us also walk by the Spirit. And, you know, we're in this, I'm in this series right now talking about foundational truths that transform. And today I want want to talk about new life and a new walk, Christianity is fundamentally about life, new life. Jesus himself said in one of the, you know, along with John 3.16, this is a verse that almost everyone knows universally, John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life in the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, that's what I want to talk about today. Life in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit. Jesus said something shocking to a religious leader. He was a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom, if you want to see the kingdom, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must receive life that you don't currently have. And it's like being born again. It's like experiencing a second birth. And one who receives this life, from our verse today, is to actually walk it out. Someone who receives this new life is to walk it out. Like a healthy baby just born, Right? It begins wiggling and crying, and then it, as it grows, it, it, it crawls, and then eventually it walks. So those who experience new life by the Holy Spirit will experience a new walk in the strength of the same Spirit. And it's inevitable. It is inevitable. Those who are born of the Spirit, those who have life by the Spirit, will experience a new walk. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Spirit life leads to spirit walk. Or new life by the Holy Spirit results in a new walk by the Spirit. And like I said before, it's inevitable. Someone who is truly born again will live a life that shows they are truly born again. But notice that our verse here this morning, this one verse that you'll have memorized before you leave, I'm sure, it's stated in an if-then statement, okay? So it's saying if, if A, then B, all right? So if you live by the Spirit, then also keep in step with the Spirit. So here's what I want to do today. I want to, basically, there's just two points, right? The first is I want to look at what it means to live by the Spirit. This is imperative. This is massively important, I think. And second, I want to unpack the command, let us also walk by the Spirit and show how it's connected to the, to the first statement, what it means, and how to 
do it, okay? And fundamentally, basically in the world, and so of course in this place today, there are two broad groups of people, okay? There are those who have been born by the Spirit, and there are those who haven't. There are those who have been born by the Spirit. Um, Many people would admit they haven't been born by the Spirit. They would say, I don't know what that is, or I, I want nothing to do with that. And some people, and I think when you think of, in terms of the entire world, many people would say they've been born by the Spirit, but they really haven't. Maybe they prayed the sinner's prayer, maybe they walked an aisle at an evangelistic meeting or something like that, but they haven't been born anew. They haven't been born by the Spirit. And then, of course, there are those who have been born by the Spirit. So there are those that haven't and there are those that, that have. And, and if there happens to be anybody here who hasn't been born by the Spirit, in God's mercy and my love for you, I would want you to know that today so that you would know what needs to happen to you and you would pray and seek it. And for those who have been born by the Spirit, which is probably most or maybe everyone here, I want you to know what massive miracle has happened to you. I'm convinced that this truth is so diminished in the church. I mean, just generally speaking, so diminished that people don't understand the mighty power that has been acted upon them in the new birth. Okay? So, let's jump in. What is it to live by the Spirit? Other Phrases, words that are used in the New Testament, born again, born of the Spirit, regeneration. Um, the, the Apostle John uses both in, his, both in the Gospel of John and in his first letter, he uses the phrase born of God. All of these mean the same thing. What is it to live by the Spirit or to have this life by the Spirit? Here's what it means. It's a divinely powerful, heart-level, experiential miracle. It's divinely powerful. It's not something that you can make happen. You and I can't bring this about. It's something that is divinely powerful. In other words, it's power from God. It's a heart level thing. That's the second thing I said. It's a heart level thing. God is not mainly interested in cleaning up the outside. He's not first and foremost interested in moral reformation. That will come, but it comes from this. It's a heart level thing. What we need is something deep within to happen to us. And it's experiential. I would argue that it's something... Now, our, experience, our experiences and emotions and so forth ebb and flow, but it is something that is to be experienced. When a baby's born though they couldn't articulate it to anybody, they know something's happening. They're going through that birth canal. They come out. They see light. Whoa, this is new. So when someone is born anew and they have this life, they know it. And it is a miracle. It is a bona fide miracle. I think the word miracle is thrown around way too flippantly. It is a real miracle. In fact, for the Christian, it is the miracle of miracles. Because it is to literally go from death to life, spiritually. It is a resurrection. 
to, to receive this life from the Spirit is not merely like being a terminally sick patient in the hospital and to be made well or healed. It's not, a, it's not like a severely broken person, broken in pieces on the ground and then put back together. Ephesians 2 describes us prior to this new life as being dead in our sins. Dead, dead, dead. When Paul uses that language in Ephesians 2, I think what he's talking about is that our natures, our, the natures that we're born with, are utterly and completely enslaved. Such that we are dead to God, we're dead in sin, and we won't and can't do what pleases God. People often talk about, and there's a place for this, certainly, there's, uh, but people often talk about having free will, and of course, we are free to choose what we want. The problem is, without being raised from the dead, we will always choose what's wrong. And so what does God do? He raises us from the dead. He gives us a new, free nature so that we may believe and obey God. Ephesians 2, 4, through, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. This transformation is not a matter of putting, merely a matter of putting on a fresh coat of paint over, a, over us, like, a, like you would over a rotten board or something, but rather we are made new people. Brand new people. Truly, one who lives by the Spirit has become a new man or woman. Jesus didn't say you must become a little better. He says you must be born again. J.I. Packer wrote the following. He said someone who is, who has this life by the Spirit is, or born again is, excuse me, regeneration, this new birth experience is a radical and complete transformation worked in the soul by the Holy Spirit by virtue of which we become new men. New women, new people. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new person. Again, J.I. Packer speaks with such clarity here, and he wrote this. He said, The regenerate man has forever ceased to be the man he once was. His old life is over and his new life has begun. He is a new creature in Christ. That is what it is to be alive by the Spirit. Now, of course, I I recognize we're like, well, wait a second, but I still struggle with some of the things I used to. Yes, yes, yes. But is there this new life and this battle with the old man, the old nature? In the person who's alive by the Spirit, there will be. 
this new creation work or to be alive in the spirits in relation to Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ. We got our fallen nature from Adam, right? Our first father. And we get this new nature that's free and alive and can respond to God and believe in him and obey him. We get that through Christ. This is to be united to Christ by faith. And this happens when our eyes are open to see Jesus Christ in his glory and beauty. When our eyes are open to see Christ and his glory as we sung about today, when we see what he's done on our behalf, those who have been born anew, they see it and love it. Whereas those who don't have this life. Maybe it's, they, they see it, they hear the same thing, they see, hear the same message, but, but it's boring. It's lifeless. It doesn't do anything for them. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 uses the language that takes us back to the creation account. Remember at the very beginning when it says, and God spoke into the darkness and the chaos, let there be Light. And what happened? There was light. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is what happens when someone is born again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, let there be light, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God opens the eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it's like, wow. Do you remember when that happened? Some of you probably remember the moment that happened. Like, like yesterday I woke up and Jesus was, I didn't, he didn't matter to me and all of a sudden I saw him and he was glorious. That's because God opened your eyes. It's because he said, let there be light into your darkened soul. And you saw him. When God shines this light into our hearts, we're given new hearts with new desires, a new ability to respond to Christ in repentance and faith and new power to obey him through the indwelling spirit. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born that something miraculous would happen. Ezekiel 36 says the following. This is God speaking through the prophet. Ezekiel, now this is, this is to live by the Spirit right here. This is what happens when someone's born again. This is what happens. Listen, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. What's the heart of stone? What's a stony heart? Rock hard, dead, unable to respond to God, unwilling and unable. I will take out the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He puts a new heart within us. God, the ultimate surgeon, does heart surgery. Takes out that heart of stone, rips open our chest, takes out that heart of stone, puts a new heart in, and what happens next? And I will put my spirit 
within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear that? God gives us a new heart. He puts a spirit in us. He causes us, which I don't think means he forces us against our wills, but he gives us a new heart, puts a spirit in us. He changes our wills. We didn't, we willed to, and we still battle with this, don't we? But before we were saved, we willed to do what we wanted and only what we wanted. And he gives us new wills and causes us to walk in his ways. He gives us a new heart with new desires. You see, external commands written on tablets of stone can't change the heart. John Bunyan wrote, uh, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He had this little poem that goes like this. I learned this 15 years ago, and I think of it often. He said this, run, John, run, the law commands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. The gospel speaks of better things. It bids us to fly and gives us wings. Run, John, run, the law commands, but it doesn't give us feet or hands. It doesn't help us to do it. The gospel, the gospel of a gracious God who raises the dead. It speaks of better things. It bids us to fly and gives us wings. Now, God's law is good, but we, by nature, are not. And we resist God's law. But when we're given this new life by the Spirit, this new heart, and Jeremiah 31 says the law of God written on our hearts, then we're able to obey from the heart with God's help. The Apostle John affirms this radical transformation when he says this. Now get this. Now we have to understand what he means and what he doesn't mean by this. But the Apostle John said that those who are born of God cannot continue practicing sin. It doesn't say they will not. It doesn't say they better not. It says they cannot. John, of course, doesn't mean sinless perfection. You can just go back to earlier in John's letter when he says, if anyone says they're without sin, they're a liar. The truth's not in them. But there's this radical redirection of life. Whereas before we practiced sin, we sinned, and all we did was sin, and listen, we loved it. Now there's a redirection of life. We have this new life, and the one who's born of God cannot continue to live in sin. And the answer, or excuse me, the reason we're given for that is because he is born of God. We know the fulfillment of the law, the, the fulfillment of obedience to God is to love. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Of course, Jesus takes, takes it a step further in the new command he gives in John 13. We've studied this in our Saturday morning men's study when he says, love your neighbor, or excuse me, love one another as I have loved you. But the fulfillment of the law is to love. The new birth gives us, again, this new heart, new desires, and new power to love. I was reminded this last week and, um, that Moses, of all people, right, he gave us the law. 
Moses, of all people, spoke of this radical heart transformation in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, when he said this, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you love the Lord your God. I love that. Right? Circumcision for Abraham was this outward symbol, outward sign of God's covenant with him. But what we need more than an outward sign is something deep within, an inward reality. And Moses said, the Lord is going to circumcise your heart. He's going to remove the uncleanness. He's going to give you a new heart, circumcised heart, so that you love him. God, God gives us the ability that we didn't have before to love him and also to love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves, listen, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What is this life in the Spirit or what is this life by the Spirit, this new birth? It is nothing less than the vital life of God on the soul or in the soul of a human being. God the Holy Spirit dwelling within, giving new life, new desires, and new power to pursue those new godly desires This is what it is to live by the Spirit. And so Paul, he labored hard in Galatia and he told them, he says, the reason why I labored so hard was this is the reason. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want the living, resurrected Christ to be formed in you. And you know what? That's what I want for you as well. That's what I want for me, for us. For you to know Christ dwelling in the heart living in the heart by the Holy Spirit the instrument the Spirit uses to cause us to be born again or to give us this life this inward powerful miraculous work is the Word of God and If someone's born again, no doubt, it wasn't because they had never heard about Jesus at all and they were sitting in their room, in a dark room sometime, closing their eyes, meditating on nothing and all of a sudden they were saved. It's because inevitably they heard the word. Whether they heard the word preached or they heard the word read, 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we're born anew or born by the living and abiding word of God. James chapter 1 says almost the same thing, that of God's own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. The Spirit takes the word, brands it on our souls, and it's like a, well, it wouldn't be like a sword. I don't know. It's like, it's the instrument he uses to bring us to life. The sword would probably kill us, right? Um, now, 
That's what it is to, to know this life by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, this divinely powerful, heart-level, experiential miracle. For some, <clears throat> this is an event they, for some it's an event that they remember very vividly. They know. And there's some people, some here. You know where you were when the lights came on. You know where you were. Maybe you know the date and time when you went from death to life. I think of my wife, Alyssa. She was listening to a Billy Graham sermon. I can't remember if it was radio or TV, doesn't matter, but and as a young girl, five, six years old, very sincerely received Christ. She was born, she was new, she became a new person. I think of someone like David Bryant later in life. His life was a wreck. For six days, I think, he was reading his Bible as a wreck. And on the seventh day, he became a new man. For others, it's not an event that you remember the moment, the day, the hour. But perhaps you have you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this has happened to you. Think of a, of a child who grows up in a home where Christ is honored, the scriptures are read, God is worshipped, and perhaps kids like this, I mean, quite frankly, I want my kids to grow up in this so that they just think, I think I've always believed. The most important thing, however, is that your life has changed. The most important thing is that you know you have this life, that you have gone from death to life, that you're a new person. I heard it put this way. Um, it's not that important that you know precisely what time the sun came up this morning so long as you know that the sun's up now. Okay? You, you don't know if it came up at 6.42, or that, and that's not that important. But you can go outside and you see the sun's up. It's not as important that you know the moment the lights came on and you saw the Son of God in his glory. So long as you see him now in his glory. You know the sun has risen on your heart. It's important that you, have, that you know that you have this new life by the Spirit. It is necessary because remember Jesus said emphatically, unmistakably, you must be born again. You must. Well, let's look at the second part of this verse, the command. Um, remember, this is an if-then statement, <clears throat> if A, then B. So if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you are alive by the Spirit, then put one foot in front of the other and walk out that life. Day by day, week by week, year by year, decade 
after decade. I find it clarifying at times to when there's a relation between verses or maybe within a verse to turn it around and say it, say it backwards. Sometimes I think that's helpful. So if we turn this statement around, it goes like this. Keep in step with the Spirit if, in fact, you're alive by the Spirit. <clears throat> Keep in step with Him if, he's giving, if He has given you life. You cannot walk by the Spirit without the life of the Spirit. You can't do it. However, if you have the life, then you can walk. If you have life by the Spirit, you can walk by the Spirit. New habits flow from new hearts. New habits flow from new hearts. The new walk comes from the new life. Not only can you walk by the Spirit if you have this new life, but you must walk by the Spirit. And that's what I want you to see here. This is a command. This is a command, a real command, given to those who've been born again. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is a divine imperative. I want everyone here to hear me. If you would say, I'm alive by the Spirit, then God Almighty says, okay, keep in step with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's not saying if it fits in well with your environment, okay? If, it, uh, if it's convenient, if I don't have anything more pressing going on or something more important to do or, no, no, no. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The only alternative to walking by the Spirit is to walk by the flesh. It's only those two. You will walk by the Spirit or you will walk according to the flesh. Earlier in Galatians 5, so we're we're looking at verse 25, just about 10 verses earlier in verse 16, here's what Paul says. Walk by the Spirit and you, excuse me, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can anyone think of a time in the last, I was going to say like week, but maybe I should say last 24 hours, where you acted in the flesh? Just a couple of us. I, okay. Um, okay, last year. <laughs> All right, everyone, that covers everybody, right? Um, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify those desires. Now, I think it, it's fascinating. It doesn't, it, it, the Bible doesn't say that if we're born by the Spirit, then the desires of the flesh go away entirely. It doesn't say that. It just gives us this massive promise that if we walk according to the Spirit, we won't gratify those desires. We won't give in to those desires. The desires to be angry, the desires to lust, the desires, you name it. We will not gratify the desires of the flesh if we walk by the Spirit. The language here in Galatians 5.16 is actually intensified in the original Greek. It's called, a, it's called an emphatic negation. Here's how it would read 
in the original language, it goes something like this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will absolutely and certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what does this mean to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit? And practically, how do we do this? So first, let's look at what it means. And, okay, so I'm going to go down another bunny trail real quick, all right? So, I'm, so we want to walk on this road called keeping in step with the Spirit, right? Or walking by the Spirit. And there's a ditch on both sides of the road we can fall into. The ditch on one side of the road is to boil it all down. So to walk by the Spirit, the ditch on this side is to boil that down only to reading your Bible and seeking to meticulously do what it says. This will tend to lead to an overly formal and mechanical walk with no dynamic fellowship with a person namely the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The other ditch, however, and you even hear the language of walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit, things like that. The other ditch is this. It's to boil it all down to being led around by inner impressions and premonitions without much concern for what God says in his word. This, of course, can be deeply problematic, especially when we feel what we feel internally collides with the Bible and what we feel so strongly trumps what the Bible says. Has that ever happened to you? It has to me. So we want to avoid these ditches, don't we? So, of course, we need the Scriptures. Okay? The Spirit is the divine author of the book. And so, we want to hear what he says so that we can keep in step with him, so that we can walk by him, so that we can do what pleases him. But, the Spirit is a person who's with us and in us. I love what Jesus said to his disciples in that upper room discourse. Um, when he says, for, he says, I'm going to send the helper, you know who he is, for he's been with you and he will be in you. It's like you've known him. You've seen, you've seen his activity. He's been with you. But there's going to be a time when he is in you. The Holy Spirit is a person who's with us and in us. He certainly helps us to understand Scripture. No doubt. He reminds us of Scripture, which I, I do want to just, just side note. He reminds us. I remember when I was a kid one time, I thought, you know, this is a big book. I wonder if I just put it under my pillow. Maybe God could just like, you know, download it all in. It doesn't work that way. He reminds us. So it's good to know what it says. Um, but... He also leads us and guides us sometimes in unique and mysterious and strange ways. But it needs to be said, never contrary to his word. Ever. Never. He will never lead you contrary to his word. And listen, he will never give you desires 
contrary to his character and nature that he reveals to us in Scripture. He will always lead us according to his truth. So think about this phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. It's like this. The Spirit sets the pace. Okay? Think of like a marathon or uh, you see these guys, these cross-country runners out around town sometimes jogging and there's like a pace setter. The other guys try to keep up with him, right? That's not the best analogy because the Holy Spirit's in us. He's not just out in front of us. But bear with me, okay? He sets the pace and we seek to keep in step. Or maybe you've heard this phrase before that so-and-so, they just kind of march to the beat of their own drum. Well, we don't want to be that way. The Holy Spirit's going to lay down the drum beat and we're going to march to his beat. So, what is it to walk by the Spirit? Here's what I think it is with, with new hearts because remember this is all predicated on having the life of the Spirit. With new hearts, full of new desires to please and obey God with open Bibles so that we see what pleases Him. We seek to be obedient to God, doing so in the conscious power He gives us. And I think that's a key part. I mean, think about keep in step. It's like step by step. We're relying upon the Spirit. And I don't mean, Holy Spirit, should I turn right on First Street or left? I don't mean that. But I mean in our walk, seeking to glorify Him, step by step, we are in fellowship with him. He's reminding us of his word. We're meditating on his word. He leads us and guides us, sometimes in unique and strange ways or mysterious ways. But step by step, we're relying upon his strength and his power to do what pleases him. I think this is the essence of the spirit-directed walk. We need to be people of his word. But we also need to be people who turn our attention very deliberately to a person who's with us and in us. If I had an, someone who was supposed to be an honored guest in my home and I almost completely ignored them as a person present, it would be greatly dishonoring to them. So, the essence of the Spirit-directed walk, he sets the pace, we keep in step. He lays down the beat and we march to it. Steady movement. This kind of sounds like, I talking to the youth group kids a couple weeks ago, steady movement in a particular direction, relying upon the Spirit's power. This will inevitably lead us on the one hand, it'll, it'll lead us broadly speaking, to do two things. On the one hand, it will lead us to go to war against sin in our own hearts, okay, in our own lives. It will put us in conflict with remaining sin in our hearts. Here's what, here's what Paul said, Romans 8. I, I gotta go to Romans 8, right? Romans 8, if, we, if, if you walk according to the flesh, you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. That's that's talking to Christians. If you walk according to the flesh, you will die. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. But it will also move us in the direction of positive, God-glorifying obedience. 
to what God says. Romans 8, 4 again says this, that the righteous requirement of the law is to be fulfilled in the person who's walking by the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is to be fulfilled in us. Not just for us, but in us. Um, So, here's one thing I do. Almost every morning, I have a bit of a routine that I follow. Um, you know, I, I find if I, if, I, if, I, if I wake up late and I don't have much discipline, my day doesn't, you know, I'm, I don't, it's harder for me to walk in the Spirit. So I, I try to get up and have a bit of a routine every morning. And part of my routine is I go through two passages. Now, I just want to share this with you this morning. I go through two passages. There's others I do as well, but these two especially that I think hits on what we're talking about today. And what I do is I recite these, but I recite them in a way that I'm talking to God about it. One of the passages is Romans 6, 10 through 14, which says, the death he died, he died to sin, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, this is talking to me and you, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God, that's life. Uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions or its passions. Do not present your members, that's talking about your hands, your feet, the members of your body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, this is key, listen, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We need to remind ourselves of this. God, I have been brought from death to life. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. My hands, God, I've been brought from death to life by your grace and your mercy. My hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, every part of me belongs to you. Here they are. Use them today. And then I go to John 7, 37 and 38. And I'd like to end with this. It says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. (laughs) I just say, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm bizarre in this way. But I wake up spiritually thirsty. Like I need a drink. Like I'm parched. I, don't, I don't usually wake up feeling like a rock star spiritually. And so I just come to Jesus. I say, Jesus, you, you promised if anyone's thirsty, we can come to you and drink. And whoever believes in you, so be, believing is coming to him and coming to him and drinking is believing in him. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I wonder if anyone here is thirsty today. Thirsty for the Spirit. Thirsty for to know this life more deeply. Maybe someone here thirsty for life in the first instance. 
If anyone's thirsty, Jesus said, come to me and drink. And then these rivers. It's not like, it doesn't say, and small tiny streams will flow out of your heart. And it says rivers, multiple rivers flowing out of our hearts. What's this? So that it affects the others. Okay? So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I'm humbled today that you would look down on me, a man who, without your mercy and grace, I would still, now at 44, be not only rejecting you, but actively at war with you.